following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. Over these next few weeks, to journey a little in the book of Ephesians to ask questions about the glory of the church. Uh, which might seem a, a bit of an odd thing, given um, how we view the church or how perhaps the church is viewed. So that's, that's where we're headed um, over these next few weeks. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read it together. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and actually it's likely this letter went far beyond Ephesus and was a circular letter that was shared amongst many churches. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe, according to the working of His great power? God, uh, according to the working of His great power, God put this power to work in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And He has put all things under His feet, and has made Him the head over all things for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks for this, Your Word. We come as a people of your word, believing that aside from it, um, we cannot find life. So we come to understand your word, to not overstand it, but understand it, that it may speak to us and transform us 
for your gospel. Amen. Uh, so I've been involved in Christian ministry now for 15 years in different forms. Um, and going to the hairdresser was always quite an interesting experience. Um, so the conversation tends to go like this, and I tend to bounce around hairdressers to avoid it. Um, same with being on airplanes um, next to people. Uh, the conversation goes like this. Ah, um, have you had a busy day? Um, I say, yeah, yeah, not too bad. Oh, and, and have, you had a, have you had a busy week? Uh, yeah, it's not, not, not been too bad. Oh, what, what do you do for a job? Um, oh, I teach. Ah, oh, do you teach in primary school or, or secondary school? Ah, uh, no, I teach in tertiary education. Ah, what are you teaching? Uh, I teach in theology. And then the conversation, if they know what the word theology means, the conversation tends to kind of either peter out and there's silence for the rest of the haircut, or um, the answer is often, um, oh, yes, I had a cousin who, 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 who did that church thing for a bit, but yeah, nah, nah, nah. Uh, you know, and, and there's this question, this lingering question, what on earth is the church? And actually, it's not just people beyond the church who ask that question. I think we ask that question too. What is the church? And actually, evangelicals, you know, those, those of us who, who, who want to see the gospel go out, um, we don't always get the point of church as well. Church is kind of, yeah, nah, for us too. Yes, mission, being in the community, um, getting involved, extending the mission of God beyond the church's walls, um, that's where the action is, that's what we want to invest into, that's the important stuff. Um, church is kind of at best a bit of a pep talk, a, a rally to get us going, to get out and do the stuff that's really important in the community. Um, or at worst, it's, a, it's an obstacle that gets in the way of the stuff we really should get on with doing. Um, so church, yeah... Nah, nah. Um, we don't know what to do with church, and there is plenty that's disappointing about the church. There's plenty. Um, but in this letter that Paul wrote, he says that God's glory is in the church. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God's glory, God's kind of weightiness is in Christ and it's also in the church. God's weightiness, God's glory is in the church. And so for, for us, I think it, it takes a bit of a, a need to twist our thinking to come to grips with what Scripture speaks about regarding the church and overcoming our year nah. In Ephesians, Paul gives us this kind of cosmic vision of reality. Um, it begins on the biggest possible canvas with Paul painting in um, stark colors and sharp lines to give us a vision of the ultimate so that we can understand everything else that we do in everyday life in relation to the ultimate. It's a big cosmic vision that Paul gives us in the letter. And at the heart of Paul's vision is a mystery, the mystery of God's will. Um, if you look in, in verse 9, 
with a wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will. God's mystery, mysterious will has been revealed. That's what Ephesians is doing. And, and in Ephesus and around that area of Ephesus, there were these things called the mystery cults. Um, they would hear this gospel and see it as, you know, they're climbing ladders. They're climbing ladders to greater and deeper enlightenment, greater insight, um, deeper meaning. You're kind of climbing up the ladder, a bit like the Da Vinci Code. There's some secret knowledge that you're going to encounter and climb up the ladder to your great enlightenment. So they would see the gospel as one of the rungs. Jesus would be one of the rungs on their ladder to greater enlightenment. That's what they would understand when they hear it. But what, and so for them, in some sense, Jesus being a rung would be Jesus. Yeah, nah. Um, but what Paul writes to say is that God's mystery is revealed in Christ. God's great plan for the whole cosmos is revealed in Christ, and it affects all things. And so the repetition, to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then if you go on in, in, in chapter 1, the immeasurable greatness of His power, um, for us who believe according to the working of His great power, God put this power to work in Christ when he seated him from the dead and raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. And if you read Colossians, it's the same thing, this repetition of all things. He is the firstborn of all creation. He's the head of the body over all things, because it's the same area and region where they think Jesus is just one of the rungs on the ladder. Paul's point is, no, Christ is Lord of all things. And this verse, that we're, the, the chapter 1 that we're looking at this morning that runs from verse 3 to the end of 14 is actually one big long verse in Greek. Um, this huge big long verse, this kind of cascade of praise that Paul gives us as he tries to capture this magnificent plan God has for all the world. See, the church and its glory is not because of what we've made the church or what we've done in the church. It's what God has made the church in Christ or what God has done and is doing in the church through Christ. Look at what God has done in this passage. God has blessed us in Christ. God has chosen us in verse 4. He's destined us, verse 5. God has bestowed upon us. He has lavished His grace on us. He has made known to us the mystery of His will. These are the things that God has done in this passage. And what are they? Well, look again in verse 3. Every spiritual blessing chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, destined to be adopted as His children. And adoption in the Roman world would mean, if you were adopted by a Roman citizen, it was not just that you, you gained appearance, but that you swapped absolutely all your allegiances, your passions, everything to this new family. So we've been adopted, we've been given His glorious grace, we receive redemption and the forgiveness of sins, the riches of His grace, and on and on it goes as Paul describes this great cascade of praise through what God has done for us. And how has God done it? Well, again, look, He has blessed us 
in Christ. He has chosen us in Christ. He's destined us for adoption through Christ. He's freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, in Christ, in Him, through Him, through Christ, on Christ. Uh, It's this constant repetition. God's great glory is given to the church in Christ, through Christ. Jesus is not just simply another rung on the ladder to some higher goal. Jesus is the ladder, and He is the goal. That's what Paul is showing us and demanding from the church at Ephesus. It is about all things, this magnificent cosmic vision. And so we often have heard the saying, um, oh, the gospel is Jesus loves you and God has a plan for your life. Um, Perhaps Paul would say, if he was speaking out of Ephesians, Jesus loves you and God has a plan for your cosmos. Uh, It's this big, magnificent cosmic vision. God in His freedom has chosen to renew and redeem the world for His glory, and in His freedom He's chosen the church to be the agent of that redemption. He's given us the Spirit as a pledge or a down payment on what God promises to complete. So the church actually hasn't got a lot going for it except that when we gather, Jesus Christ is with us. He's here shaping a people for His glory, showing to the world what God intends for the whole thing by this people, the church. Ephesians is about revealing the mystery of God's will, which is what? If you look again in verses 9 and 10, He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, what is it? To gather all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. It is to bring the whole cosmos to its unity in Christ. That's God's plan. And the word kind of means God's administration, God's Yeah, God's way of designing the world, God's administration of the world. The rightly ordered world is the plan that God has for everything. And that rightly ordered world is first expressed in the church. We are meant to be the foretaste of a world made new. If people are wondering what God intends for the creation, for the whole world, they should be looking to us, the church who show forth God's plan to all the world. And the stress that Paul has is upon unity, the unity of not just the church, not just humans, but the whole creation to bring all things to unity in Christ. And the stress on unity assumes that something has been broken, that the unity is currently broken. When I was a mechanic, um, I, I used to work as a mechanic, and some motors would, would blow up and there'd be major problems with them. Others of them would be very hard to notice what's gone wrong with it. But at the heart of the engine, there's what they call a hairline crack running through the center of the engine. And it wrecks everything. Everything, as a result, doesn't work properly. There's just a hairline fracture that runs through the center of the thing. And it, and it changes everything. And what we know within Scripture is that there is this hairline fracture 
that runs through not just our world, but our cosmos, is what Paul tells us. Genesis tells the story of God creating a world that is good, 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 and very good, and God is pleased with it. But what we see happen in in the creation story is then the great undoing as this hairline fracture appears within our world. And we see the breaking and tearing apart of God's good creation, whether it's humans from humans or family from family or humans from the wider creation, there is this tearing apart, this undoing, this movement towards uncreation, away from God's purposes, undoing. And anyone who's been watching the news at all in the last week will need no convincing that there's some form of hairline fracture that runs through the heart of our world. Whether it's the complete shock of passenger jets being shot out of the sky, hundreds of people dead in Palestine and many of them children, Uh, a double homicide just last night in the town that I grew up in, Uh, and that goes with the four homicides that have been in the town I now live in, West Auckland, um, that have happened over the last two months. Uh, There is no convincing needed that there's a hairline fracture that runs through our world. God's creation that He gave and made and called very good has been undone by forces that drive towards uncreation, the undoing of God's good world. And against, it's against these forces of uncreation that God plans in Christ to reunite the world, to set the world to rights, to reorder, to administer the world how God always intended it to be. And it's in relation to God's great plan that the church finds its meaning. Leslie Newbegin, uh, a well-known theologian, talks about the church being the hermeneutic of the gospel. Um, the church is the interpretation of the gospel. Um, if the world wants to know what God has in mind for everything, then they should be looking to the church. The church is meant to be the embodiment of eternity now, through Christ and by the Spirit's power. So it's not simply that the church goes to do mission, it's that the church is mission. Yes, there's things to do, but we're called to be a particular kind of community that displays to the world and the cosmos God's good plan. And so being the church is actually a pretty severe demand upon all of us. God's purposes for a redeemed cosmos are first displayed in the church, where we learn to live in non-violent relationship to God, in non-violent relationship to one another, and in non-violent relationship to the created order. We are to be that community that offers a sacrifice of praise to God, that says to God, by the way we live with one another and for one another in the world, we offer to God in Christ a sacrifice of praise to say, God, thank you for your wise purposes. They really are wise. 
we offer to the world an image of God's good purpose, and we offer back to God the creation He's always commanded for in Christ. It's meant to be a compelling and an intriguing way of being human that causes questions from a watching world. See, it's by the church being the church that the world learns it's the world. People don't walk around outside the church thinking, oh, yes, well, we're the world and that's the church. They don't think that. It's as the church begins to be the church that the world learns that it's the world. The world learns not just that it's worldly, but what it means to be the world. It gets that from the church being the church. Stanley Howes, um, another theologian, says, how could the world ever recognize the arbitrariness of the divisions between people if it did not have a contrasting model in the unity of the church? I'll say it again. How could the world ever recognize the arbitrariness of the division between people if it did not have a contrasting model in the unity of the church? The church is called to be a united people. But are we? Have we learnt the ways of the gospel to unite and reconcile us to God and one another and God's creation? We often say in churches that we have all the answers to, to the cosmic questions. <laughs> but the problem is, is that no one's asking any questions of us perhaps because we look the same as everyone else. What does it mean to live as that community that shows forth God's intentions to the whole world? There's a book called Living Gently in a Violent World, and it's written um, by two people, one of whom is involved in living long-term in relationship of friendship, with people with severe special needs, cognitive disabilities. And the promise of this, this person, Jean Vanier is his name, is to be living in relationship not through carer and those receiving care and all the dynamics of power of that, but to simply learn to live together in nonviolent relationships with people who are different from one another, knowing that we each bring our vulnerability and we each bring our gifts into that community. We're just simply learning to be together learning to live gently in a violent world. I want to just show a video. Uh, it's a young guy called Mark Grantham. Mark is a tetraplegic who lives with cerebral palsy, um, but he's also someone who, who I think is a tremendous Christian leader. Uh, what Mark does is uh, he says, I'm not married, um, but I've got six kids. So what Mark does is he goes to Newmarket each day and he sells chocolates to raise money to give to World Vision and to raise money to support the six kids um, that he supports through World Vision. And he raises um, 100, uh, he sells over 100 chocolate bars a day and uh, has raised tens and tens of thousands of dollars for World Vision. Um, and so just most recently in this last week gone, which is why uh, Seven Sharp was so interested, Chris Clark, the CEO of World Vision, decided to swap roles and let Mark be CEO for the day. Um, and so Mark is CEO of World Vision with his dad, Chris, um, and they take over uh, C, uh, World Vision and Chris Clark goes out to sell chocolates. 
which Chris Clark bombs at, and, um, and, and Mark, you know, really just starts to, to really enjoy being CEO for the day. Um, but there's this magnificent way in which Mark shows to us a different way to be human. He shows to us what it might look like when God redeems all things. What might it be like for the church to be the church and show forth to the world God's redemptive purposes? And so for me, I think Mark captures a little of what it might mean for the church to be the church in order for the world to know it's the world. Let me read again from Ephesians to finish. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.